Well, this week marks the one year anniversary of the first lockdown. <laughs> Let's be real. It's an anniversary that hasn't been met with a whole lot of celebration. Don't know how you're doing, but pretty much every person that I've spoken to over the last couple of weeks has been absolutely exhausted. If this was a marathon, I reckon most of us would have hit the wall. Your experience might be different. I think many of us are finding it increasingly hard, aren't we, to muster up the energy and the motivation we need just to keep going. Now, against that rather bleak backdrop, I find the verses we've just had read to us from 1 Thessalonians incredibly poignant. Like, we can probably all relate, can't we, to Paul's pain at being separated from people he loved and cared deeply about. I think we're all increasingly well acquainted with the frustration of plans being thwarted over and over and over again. We've all experienced more than our fair share of trouble of late as well. And so, really, this is a passage that we can relate to. And more than that, this is a passage I believe we can learn a great deal from. You see, Paul provides some invaluable insights that could provide the help we need in order to keep going. In fact, I didn't go so far as to say that the perspective he gives us here could well make all the difference between our survival and our destruction. And so, having hopefully got your attention... Let me very quickly share with you three things that Paul highlights in these verses that I deeply believe we need to grasp if we're going to keep going and successfully make it to the end. Here's the first thing we see in this passage, the importance of family. We've noted this already as we've worked through these first couple of chapters of the letter so I'm not going to dwell on it for long but I don't want us to miss the deep affection that Paul clearly had for the Thessalonian church. He refers to them as his dear brothers and sisters. He laments being separated from them. In fact the word he uses is better translated as being orphaned from them. He speaks on several occasions of his deep longing and desire to see them again. He describes them as his reward and crown as he stands before the Lord. Earlier on in the letter, if you remember, he refers to himself as a father and a mother to them and that they are like children to him. All of which really goes to show that his relationship with them was no casual thing. There was this deep bond. He viewed them as family. Now, let's be honest. I'm not sure that a year ago, many of us would have spoken in those kind of terms about the church. We perhaps, if we're being honest, viewed the church more as a meeting that we'd try and fit in as and when we could, but it was very much at our convenience. If we're honest, many of us would have acted more as consumers than family members. It's like a primary concern was whether the service delivered what we wanted. And if it didn't meet up to all of our expectations, well, we'd be tempted to take our custom to a different service provider down the road. And I don't want to be unduly harsh here, but we wouldn't necessarily have spoken about others in the church 
with a great deal of fondness or a sense of mild irritation or exasperation or frustration at times. All of which is a million miles from God's intention. Remember, the primary metaphor or picture for God is Father. The primary metaphor for the church is family. And I think part of what's been exposed over these last 12 months is just how important this is. When everything's been stripped away, it's highlighted our need for the church family like never before. I mean, despite all the obvious awkwardness of meeting on Zoom, our small groups have been life-giving for so many of us, haven't they? It's actually been quite the revelation. We've discovered that we actually need one another in order to get through. That being said, the last year has also highlighted the inadequacy of digital communication. I'm sure we'd all agree there is still something missing. It's kind of fueled our desire to be physically present with others. And so I suggest we can empathise with Paul's intense longing to see the Thessalonian church again way more than we would have done this time last year. And although we're perhaps rather nervous about being in a room full of people again, there's also a part of even the most introverted ones of us, myself included, that longs to be with people again, to see real faces, for conversations to flow naturally, to be able to embrace people again. My appeal would be, as restrictions over the next few months start to be lifted, please let's guard against slipping back into being consumers attending a meeting. No, let's dig deeper into being family together. After all, that has always been God's design for the church. And if you're new to us, perhaps you've been logging in while we've been online, I do hope you felt something of the family that we are and just to say, it is a family that you are more than welcome to join. In fact, our desire would be that all those who are currently watching from the sidelines, those who are currently spectators, those who may be more akin to consumers, would take active steps towards becoming family members. This is a family whose arms are always wide, wide open to embrace others and welcome them in. So that's the first thing that stands out in these verses, the importance of family. Second thing we see here is the inevitability of trouble. Have a look again at verse 3, where Paul speaks of sending Timothy to keep them from being shaken by the troubles they were going through, before adding, but you know that we are destined for such troubles. Listen, if you haven't already realised, suffering, affliction, trouble, it is just inevitable. There is no avoiding it. We are destined for such things. Paul continues, verse 4, even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come. And they did, as you well know. And let's not miss this. 
Paul was only with them for a matter of weeks, three months tops. And part of his body of teaching during that time was aimed at preparing them for the inevitability of trouble. Because he knew that trouble really can shake our faith. That's why I sent Timothy to encourage them. Paul didn't want doubts to set in. He didn't want them to lose faith. Quite the opposite. He wanted their faith to be strengthened. That's interesting, isn't it? Trouble is inevitable, but it has the potential either to shake our faith or strengthen it. Which again... I think has been our experience over the last year, hasn't it? We've all had plenty of first-hand experience of the reality of trouble over this time. And my observation would be that none of us is in quite the same place in our faith as we were 12 months ago. Some of us, sadly, have had our faith rocked. And if truth be told, we are just about clinging on right now. Others have grown in faith during this time. So, well, that being said, if we can't avoid trouble, and if there's no guarantee things will get any easier anytime soon, how then do we ensure we seize the opportunity to strengthen our faith in the months to come? A few quick suggestions. First of all, don't be surprised. You know, our culture has sold us the lie that a trouble-free existence is our right. Which, incidentally, I think is one of the reasons why COVID has hit so many of us so hard. But Paul showed tremendous wisdom in preparing the Thessalonians for the inevitability of suffering. Because the truth is, we live in a fallen world. And, uh, as we're going to see in a few moments' time, we also have an enemy who's intent on attacking us. So don't be surprised when trouble hits us. Also, in the midst of it, don't doubt God's character. I think that's one of the big temptations, isn't it? Remember the occasion when Jesus was asleep in the boat with his disciples and the storm came. The disciples said to him, Jesus, we're drowning. Don't you care? I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. Like, when difficulties hit, sometimes the first thought that enters my mind is, God, don't you care? Or another occasion when Jesus, this time, didn't get to Lazarus before he died. Uh, Mary and Martha turned around and said, didn't you see this was going to happen? Why weren't you here to stop it? That's another lie, that God doesn't know or if you read the Psalms, you'll often see the psalmist asking God whether his arm is too short to save. Is doubting God's power. Look, the truth is, through all the troubles we face, God does care. He does know. And he is all-powerful. And in his sovereign plan and his goodness that, admittedly, we, we don't always understand in this life... He does permit trouble to come to us. So don't be surprised. Thirdly, however, do celebrate the benefit. I'm not being glib or blasé about the very real pain 
that many of us have experienced, perhaps are even experiencing right now. I'm not suggesting we kind of punch the air with joy whenever calamity strikes. But there is, nonetheless, a richness and depth of experience of God that is found often only when we go through times of trouble. If you recall, there was another instance when the disciples found themselves in a boat, on a lake, in a storm. But this time they were alone. It says they were far from shore, the wind was contrary, and they were straining on the oars. <laughs> Which I think is a pretty accurate description of how I think many of us feel right now, isn't it? But reading on in that account, it says that in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them. They couldn't get to him, but he came to them. Listen, in your darkest hour, he will come to you. The question is, will you look to him? One of my favourite quotes from C.H. Spurgeon is when he said that those who dive into the seas of affliction are those who come up with the rarest pearls. So I reflect on the last 12 months. Have I enjoyed the last year? No. Has it been harder than I could bear alone? Yes. Have I experienced God with me in fresh ways? Absolutely I have. Would I have had it any other way? I can honestly say no. Out of the seas of affliction, I've discovered some of the rarest pearls. And so my appeal to you would be, in the midst of trouble, won't you celebrate the benefit? And then fourthly, do press into community. We've seen, haven't we, how Paul sent Timothy to the Thessalonians to be with them when they were in trouble. You see... Going through trouble alone is incredibly difficult. And one of the joys of being part of the church family is we can stand alongside one another. Because if truth be told, when we're in difficulty, we tend to lose it a bit, don't we? Our minds and our bodies can get so buffeted when we're in emotional or physical hardship that it can cause our spiritual clarity just to get a bit cloudy. It can be really hard to see straight but when we're in community with other followers of Jesus who love us who are for us and encourage us and challenge us that is a tremendous blessing the tragedy is we can be tempted to go it alone to cut ourselves off Maybe we don't want others to, to see how we're struggling. We're embarrassed. We're ashamed. Perhaps we, we fear people will judge us. Maybe we'd just rather retreat and not face up to things. But that leaves us incredibly vulnerable. I don't know. Maybe through these last months, you have found yourself retreating from community. Perhaps you're just kind of counting down the days, waiting for things to return to normal before re-engaging. I want to urge you not to wait. Please 
press into community today. So there you have it. Four ways to grow stronger through the inevitable troubles of life. Two things not to do. Don't be surprised. Don't doubt God. Two things to do. Celebrate the benefit and press into community. And then moving on, the third and final thing that we see here in this passage that Paul highlights that I think provides a foundation that we can build on as we look to keep going is we do need to be aware of the influence of Satan. In 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, Paul says that the key to not being outsmarted by Satan is to be familiar with his schemes. And helpfully, in each of the references to Satan here, Paul highlights something of what he sets out to do. In chapter 2, verse 18, Paul says, We wanted very much to come to you. And I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. Now, we don't know the details, but somehow, in some way, Satan prevented Paul from returning to Thessalonica. The point is that Satan works to hinder the work of God in churches and in individual believers' lives. That's his agenda. He's out to prevent, to block, to hinder, to to work against. And it seems that he has enough power at his disposal to adjust circumstances, but always and everywhere only with God's ultimate permission. In fact, what we see in Scripture, and I guess as we look at our own lives as well, is that often what Satan intended for harm, God turns round and gloriously uses for good. And although it's still incredibly painful in the moment, as time goes on, we're able to look back and see how in the words of Romans 8 verse 28, God works all things together for good for those who love the Lord. And if we're struggling right now to grasp how that could ever be the case, really all we need to do is consider the death of Jesus. The Bible says Jesus was crucified by wicked men. It was ultimately the work of Satan. But just look at the goodness of God that came bursting through it. So that's the first scheme that Paul exposes here. Satan is out to prevent or hinder us. The second thing that Paul shows us is that Satan also works to tempt us. Chapter 3, verse 5, I was afraid that the tempter had got the best of you and that our work had been useless. As we saw earlier, the specific temptation here appears to have been tempting them towards doubt rather than faith in God's character. But you don't need me to tell you there are so many other ways he tempts us, some more subtle than others. For example, he tempts us to pleasure, which invariably leads to pain. It's like he puts the bait on the hook and doesn't tell you about the hook. He tells us that the bait will be delicious. And so we bite And there's momentary pleasure, 
put them there's a whole lot of pain not least because it's incredibly hard getting the hook out he tempts us to pleasure which leads to pain he also tempts us to isolation he, he wants to draw us out of the fold so that wolves can pick us off or to use another analogy when coals come out of the fire they quickly turn cold reality is as we saw earlier on we make ourselves incredibly vulnerable when we isolate ourselves and aren't connected in close with other followers of Jesus. And so Satan tempts us to isolation. He also tempts us to self-reliance. You know, when everything's going well, we can very easily fall into the trap. We don't need God. But when we hit trouble, it quickly highlights the inadequacy of self-reliance. Let's face it. I think we're probably all acutely aware right now, aren't we, of our shortcomings and our desperate need for help from God. But slowly but surely we start moving out of this season. Again, I want to appeal to you, please avoid the temptation to gradually become self-reliant again. Let me urge you to consider how you can develop healthy routines and practices, even in the coming days, ensure you stay reliant on God. And then the other thing he tempts us to is destructive patterns of thought. Satan all the time wants to work thought patterns into us and get them so ingrained in our minds that we're prevented from living and thinking in a God-honouring way. Could be the lie that your happiness is all that matters, so just follow your feelings. could be jealousy, unforgiveness, bitterness, self-pity, anger, fear. Whatever it is, his goal is always to lead us away from God and towards destruction. Now, I'm aware, even as I'm saying this, it could be leaving you feeling more scared and more helpless than you were before. But here's the wonderful thing. We have a Father in heaven that we can run to, and he is greater. In good times and bad, God is greater. And don't forget that what the enemy intended for harm, God can gloriously turn to good. And so, on those occasions when we feel buffeted by the enemy, run towards others reach out to your church family, ask for help, and above all else, run to Jesus. And this is the confidence we can have. When we call to Jesus, he will come to us. In fact, why don't you call to him right now? If you're exhausted, Maybe you can't keep going in your own strength. Won't you reach out to him? If you've perhaps allowed sin into your life, it looks so pleasurable. But now you're experiencing the pain. You feel hooked. You just can't see a way out. Confess. Repent. Receive forgiveness. Receive power from God to say no. If perhaps you're struggling with doubt, just remember how Jesus responded to his friend Thomas. He allowed Thomas to, to put his fingers into his wounds. 
Won't you bring your doubts to Jesus and allow him to give you a fresh experience of his love? Right now, won't you allow the Holy Spirit to come to you? Allow him to challenge, to confront, to convict, to encourage, to work, to strengthen your faith. For some of you, it's time for you to move from being a consumer or a spectator and commit to putting down roots in the church. For others of you, start to wake up to the schemes of the enemy and stop allowing him to get the better of you. It's time for you to fight. It's time to start living in the victory of Jesus. For many of us, God wants to change our perspective so we don't see trouble as something to be avoided at all costs, but really as an opportunity to learn more about the faithfulness of God. I just want to give you a bit of space now to think through where all of this lands for you.